Blog Talk Radio. Circumstances can't stop me And neither will they block me Today I feel unmovable Nothing's impossible To walk on water To calm the sea To speak to mountains I can be free just Good morning, everyone. I hope you are having a wonderful Thursday morning so far. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe that it is already September 17th, right? Don't we have that right so far? We are nearly uh, done with this uh, second to the last quarter of the uh of the end of the year, 2015, we are getting ready to go into the last quarter of this year. I know many of you are probably going, why are you saying that, girl? And don't rush the time. We don't want it to go too fast. But, you know, it's upon us. Well, I hope that each and every one of you is having a really great and fantastic morning. We have a lot to talk about today. But as you know, I a do-over. I should call it do-over Thursday, but then again, every day is a do-over. If you didn't get it right yesterday, if you didn't get it right when you woke up this morning, maybe somebody made you mad and and you reacted or responded in the wrong way, um, but you get a do-over. Maybe yesterday you didn't achieve the goal that you had set forth to achieve with the things that God had placed on your heart, or maybe even the area of obedience in your life, you did not walk out the way you wanted to. Well, I'm here to encourage you today is a do-over. Every day that you recognize, every minute of every day, or when you wake up, that you could, you have an opportunity to do it over again where you can. And we want to take advantage of that grace that God gives us to do it over. But before we get into our lesson today, as always, we want to pray. We want God to be our honored guest, and I want to make sure that I pray for each and every one of you on the line today. So let us enter in. Heavenly Father, I wake this morning. I thank you. We are grateful. We are grateful and thankful that you allowed us to see another day. We don't take it for granted. I know that we may wake up in the morning and we get busy with our day and we don't think about it. And sometimes we're complaining because things didn't go the way we thought or It's just one thing after another, but God, we are grateful. We are grateful because we do get a do-over. We're grateful because we do have jobs. We're grateful because we do have family. We're grateful, Father God, that we can open up our eyes and see the sun shining on us. We're grateful because if it didn't work out today, it's going to work out tomorrow. We're grateful because we 
have you in our life and we can keep our eyes stayed on you and you will keep us in perfect peace. We are grateful. We're grateful because we have the word of God. We're grateful because we love others and others love us. We're grateful because we have food to eat and we have a bed to sleep in or a car to sleep in or we have uh, a shelter to sleep in. When others may not have that, we're grateful that we have food to eat, whether that food is in a shelter or in our refrigerators or we are able to go and purchase it. Father God, there is just so much to be grateful for, so much to thank you for. Even if we're sitting in traffic, praise God that we have a car to sit in traffic in. Praise God that we have a job to go to that will allow us to sit in traffic. I mean, we can choose to be grateful for any and everything. I'm not saying that all things are good, but Father God, if we look at you and make you the big and honor you and glorify you as being the omniscient one, all-powerful, all-knowing God that you are, then everything else around us looks to be as minuscule. We Thank you today, Father God, for every marriage, every family, uh, under the sound of my voice, even the representatives, Father God. We thank you for those families. We thank you that they are able to come together. We thank you for those that have marriages. I thank you that you are ministering to every marriage that's representative on the, on the line today. We are just so honored that you will allow us to be united with another person. It may not be perfect, but Father, we just thank you that you allowed us to have the capacity in us to take on another person and to love them, to honor them, and to put their name before you. I lift up everyone that has lost a loved one recently. I pray, Father God, that you just comfort the family, minister to the family, guide the family, Father God. Because we know that you're there in the midst of every situation. Everything is not good, but if we keep our eyes on you, if we choose to keep our eyes and our mind stayed on Jesus, we will begin to receive the peace of God. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And you came to give us yours and you chose to take ours. So again, God, we thank you. We honor you. God, we just honor you this morning. And I lift up again those marriages that may be going through a hard time, a struggling time, a difficult time, a lonely time. Again, let them put their eyes on you and not on the problem. Let them begin to surrender and submit to you and not the problem. Let them begin to surrender and submit to the other person instead of trying to have their own rights. God, I honor you this morning that you're going to touch every family, every man, and every wife, Father God, that they will honor the vows that you've given them. So, Father God, I thank you for those that don't know you, and I pray that those that will listen now or those that will listen later, they will hear something on this line that will cause them to want to know you more, to want to go deeper, to want to surrender, to want to be obedient to your word, to want to be obedient to your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that they will see the power of your word and choose the power of the word of God versus the situation or the thoughts or the reasoning of their own mind. So I thank you, God, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope again that all of you are having an absolutely wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day. And if you're not, I pray that it gets better for you. You know, as we uh, 
going to the end of this year, this last quarter, we probably have, you know, about two, two and a half weeks left in September. And then we're going to be moving into the last quarter of the year. And you're probably wondering, you know, why am I mentioning uh, this particular topic and uh, the seven things that God, the six things that God hates or or is it seven? Uh, at this particular time, um, there's been so much that has happened uh, morally uh, in our society um, this year. 2015 is like, oh my gosh, could could it get any more icky in some ways? But you know, and the, the reality is, is that it really can. Any time that we don't um, honor God, trust God, seek the Word of God, submit to the Word of God and the will of God. Um, we lose all morality, and we get that from God. Um, he is the one that set up what morality is. How would the world know? How would we know had God not ever given a Ten Commandments? You know, imagine the world if there had never been a Ten Commandments of, of, of rules, of, of a law, of a standard that people should live by. I mean, it comes from somewhere. It's not arbitrary. Uh, but we also have seen um, what I think, you know, I talked about it, about it before, that we, we harp on certain things. We harp on certain sins. And, you know, whether you believe that sin is sin or there's degrees of sin or there's different punishment for sins, it really is really irrelevant. At the end of the day, we go back to the old saying, we missed the mark. We go back to... Um, the fact that, you know, God sets the standard, not your brother, not your pastor, not me. It's God that sets the standard. And the goal, if we love God, the goal is to please him. The goal is to give him glory. The goal, the goal is just to surrender and be obedient. Remember, you know, Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, not for eating the fruit per se, but for disobeying God. And we don't want to be in those situations where we're disobeying God. So what I've seen, um, I've seen uh, a lot of with the um, the new uh, Supreme Court law that legalized uh, uh, same-sex marriage throughout the United States, even those for, for those states that did not uh, receive it, um, the Supreme Court decided to say, eh, you know, who cares what you guys think? We're going to make this the law of the land. And we saw a lot of um, groups just kind of come out and and slam and bash, you know, one particular group. And then we have the the uh, black on black crime. And we have Black Lives Matter that are going on. And you know, I was uh, thinking about there's still so much. We just don't want to get to the point, even in God, that we. Um, make one more than the other. And we have to remember that God is still God and he's looking at everything, everything. We desire to be holy and we want to make sure that we love as God loves. You know, there's a, a, a scripture, the Bible says that if we don't forgive, God won't forgive us. And why is that so important? Because the whole thought behind that is really simple. The thought is behind it is when you really understand who you are, not your neighbor, not the person down the street, not the racist or the, the same-sex persons involved in a same-sex relationship, when you understand your wretchedness, when I understood, when, when I really understood 
my wretchedness in relation to who God is, I literally fell on my face and asked God, how can you love me? And I remember it was in my living room and in my kitchen, and I felt the love of my unadulterated, stinky, stanky, nasty mess. And when I realized the love of God, it changed my perception on all those who were in a mess. Because if God could save me, he can save anybody. And so I don't want us to get caught up in groups and and labeling groups and and this group is worse than that group. We sin and we never, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that comparing ourselves to one another is unwise. And it's unwise because we don't know what God is doing in that person's life. And when we don't respond in love, then we don't take the time to seek the face of the Father. We don't take the time to seek the Holy Spirit for a person to find out the strategic plan as to how God would have us minister to that person. I've met people who have situations and various lifestyles that I disagree with, but they have opened up to me. They have shared their heart. And and I'm thinking, you know, oh, my God, God, you want to heal them. And when you heal them, you'll deliver them because the healing, the, the deliverance will come in their healing. So when I began to look at this particular topic, and I, I looked it up, and I was reading it to my husband, and both of us was like, ooh, oh, my, ouch, mm, that hurts. We're like, well, we, we just did that yesterday, and oh, my God, we better repent about that today. It brought it to light that none of us can really go unscathed from the things that God hates. But when I began to read it and, and study it, and we're just going to do an overview today, um, that is not just stopping there. We just can't look at these seven things and go, oh, you know, that's what God hates and keep it moving. Or we can look at it depending on how you look at it. And when I teach it, you'll understand. You'll understand that we can cross-reference many of these two uh, passages in the New Testament about what we shouldn't do. But it's going to put into our mind's eye that each and every day we need to be reflect. We need to be like David in the book of Psalms and 50, Psalm 51, Psalm 63. We need to be reflective of our life before the Father and asking God, search me and know, is there any wicked way in me? Our desire should not be to label somebody else and go, well, I'm not like them. We don't want to be like the parable where the man said, oh, I'm not like that woman. But what did God say? She gave all she had. See, we have to stop saying, oh, it's, you know, God knows my heart. Yeah, he knows how nasty it is. He knows how prideful it is. He knows how you're trying to compare yourself to another. And we want to make sure that as we begin to study out these seven things, the whole point about them is not to beat anybody up. It's not to throw anybody under the bus. It's not to tell anybody what they're not. It's to get us to see who we are in relation to who God is and to be able to give him glory and honor and to appreciate what he did on the cross every day that we should be able to do that. So let's talk about some things. The scripture is really found 
in uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Okay. And um, you can read it in a number of different translations. But just to give you an overview, let's look at what it says here. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. And then it goes to 17. Um, It skips down to 17 because it gives uh, some narrative um, in between there. But then he skips down to 17 and says, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that defies wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Okay? So let's first, let's do this. Let's go and read that entire passage before we really move on so we can really look and begin to see some context. And we know that, you know, Proverbs is really the book of wisdom. This is where we go to learn how to act, how to, how do we really apply the word of God, you know, to do um, in, in that. So let me do this. Let's kind of get a contextual understanding. This chapter is giving us practical warnings on what we should and should not do and how we should really walk out our life. I will be reading. You guys got off really good today. I'm not reading from the Amplified Version today. Reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are a snare in the words of your mouth, in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider your ways and be wise without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bed in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little fouling of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks his eyes, Signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste and to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out uh, lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And then the latter part of that chapter goes on to talk about um, uh, no, the warning against adultery. And then it, it, the other thing is when we look at that first part of that chapter, uh, 6 verse 1, we're looking at warning against being entangled 
financially or entangled in foolish financial decisions. It's giving us the warning on that. So we want, and it goes into other scriptures that cross-reference into that later. And then we go on to being lazy in verses six through eight. So we, he teaches us about our finances in the first part, and then about being lazy in the second part. And then we go on to um, verse 12 through 19, which is where these uh, lies or the, the six and things are uh, talked about. We're looking at here the value of wisdom in um, in preserving us from dissension, okay? So we want to make sure that we understand how not to get caught up in a mess, how to watch what we do, how to be careful of where we're going. And then that's where we get into um, our scriptures on the six things. So let's look at how they meant that because there's a specific reason why it says there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Now, that is not the only place that it's written that way in the word of God. There are other cross-reference scriptures um, that mention that as well, that give that same kind of, of analogy when they're talking about that. And one of those is in chapter and 16, and then you have, um, which is eight, and 18 and 19, those verses, and then verses 20 and 21, they give you kind of the, the six plus four but that we're looking at there, okay? But here's what it says. The passage contains what is called a numerical proverb, which is a form of Hebrew poetry that uses a series of items in order to build suspense with added emphasis on the final item. Because in other words, the final item or that seventh item is the one that they're trying to draw attention to, okay? Thus, the six, yes, seven format is not to be understood as seven abominations with God, hating only the first six abominations hated by God with special attention on the last item. You know, in other words, it's their poetic way of saying, it's not like, oh, okay, you know, he doesn't like, the, he hates the six, but this one, the seventh one is an abomination. Oh my gosh. No, all of them are. It's that way of building suspense. So the question may be asked then, what's significant about the last item? And the answer may, may perhaps be that one, that the one who spreads strife does so because all the preceding sins are a reality in his life. Isn't that powerful. In other words, the order of the way that these are listed has a lot of weight, but the strife, strife, I mean, think about what strife causes up. Think about um, why strife would be so, so um, devastating in the word of God. And we'll be talking um, more about that later because strife just brings division amongst the body. Strife just brings division. You know, that's the reason that most families uh, become divided because of strife. So what I want to do for you real quick is just read a quick definition of what that means. I'm going to be reading this out of the, um, the Vines dictionary here. See if I can find that for you guys, because we really want to understand what that means. So it's, it's a, uh, to contend, to struggle, 
or to strive. And that's the verb form of that particular word. If you look at the noun version of that word, you're looking at quarrel, dispute, contention. It's a cause. It sometimes represents, again, a dispute between different parties. In other words, it's something that keeps something going. And then, you know, strife had this brother, you know, fear, rejection, abandonment that go along with that. So as we begin in our study, um, abomination is probably the strongest word we have in all of Scripture. That's just there's um, Scripture. There's just nothing more horrible before God than an abomination. And that's a quote from Paul Washer. Abomination um, as a noun in and of itself that which is detestable, vile, and shameful arouses intense hatred coupled with disgust and is abhorred or loathed. So if we go with what we heard, what we um, just read, that the attention is going to the last one. Here's, you know, God hates these things. And yes, seven, which are an abomination. He hates all of them, but he's drawing attention to that last one. And anytime we are to be vessels of love, we are to be vessels of love. How, how does the Bible say you, that we will be known? I, we will be known by our love. Okay. The ability, the capacity to love others, even in the midst of their nastiness, in the midst of their abomination, in the midst of their vileness, in the midst of their shamefulness. Are we then giving back to others what God gave to us through Jesus Christ? Love, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. You know, we spend a lot of time looking at the out and never getting to know the spirit. Now, I understand however you present yourself. Wisdom teaches us how to present ourselves in the earth. Wisdom is going to give us an indication on how to, to walk, how to dress, what to do. But we're going to have bad days. So next week as we get into this, we're going to spend some time looking at haughty eyes. What does that mean to have haughty eyes? What does that mean? What does it look like? So my prayer this week is that as we begin to do this study, that we will begin to sit in the presence of God and we will begin to ask God to show us who we really are. How about this? Why don't we ask God to show us what we look like if we didn't have the blood of Jesus covering us? How would he see us? And if that doesn't make you fall on your face, and worship God like never before. How long we've been saved. I don't care how much word you know. And it goes for me too. It doesn't matter. We make so many excuses about why we can't do this or that for God. He's God. He's the man that put the moon and the stars in the sky. He is the man that allows us to wake up every day with breath in our bodies. How dare we not give what we have been given to the cross? How dare we not give to others who are suffering, who don't know? People don't even know about Noah. 
anymore. This young generation knows nothing. They know nothing about the basic tenets of the word of God. Things that used to be just basic trivia. And we now need to share the love of God abroad that is shed in our hearts. We need to give it to others so that we don't become haughty in our own right. That we don't become a, a vile stench in the nostrils of God. Let us give to every person that we meet, our, our brothers and sisters, our spouses, our co-workers. If we can't love those that we see then how can we love a God that we don't see? If you don't know Christ today, if you don't know if you were to die today where your eyes would be seen, then I encourage you, accept Christ as your personal Savior today. He died so that you can be free. He did not die to condemn you. He bore all the condemnation. None of us are unscathed, but it is the blood of Christ that saves and he is our redeemer. If you desire to be redeemed today, Christ is waiting. He's, it's a decision. It's not hard. It's a decision. And if you've made that decision, the angels of heaven are rejoicing. Stay tuned for next week. I look forward to seeing you. Love you guys. Bye. I can be free just in me.